This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with good friend Tyler Sibick. He discusses his time as an academy coach as well as personal beliefs and philosophies and talks through, from experiences, what makes a good goal scorer. I hope you enjoy. Perfect, Tyler Sibber, how's it going? Very yeah, good, good, yeah. Busy? Things busy in the football world for you? Or? Busy, yeah, quite busy with work, yeah. And, well, that's that's my football world now, because I've stopped playing. Okay, so obviously you've gone down the playing route. What made you start playing in the first place? Why Why did you pick up football? Um, I think it's just something I got coached into by probably my dad. Um, he was... Well, he's a United fan and big football fan, so he took me to football when I was five, and I'd say I just loved it ever since then. Okay, so obviously if you're since you're a United fan now, I'd imagine you're not particularly Yeah, I'm still a United fan, um, <laughs> but I quite, I, funnily enough, I actually quite enjoy the turnaround. Obviously it was all success when I was growing up, but now it's one of those points where you don't, you don't know what way the club could go now. Hopefully it's going to go forward, but... Like with um, you look at what Liverpool have done now, where they've sort of had the same dip and were out of the Champions League for a few years, and now they're back at or back at it, challenging for the Prem and the Champions League, or won it last year. Well, I'm a Spurs fan, as you know, and obviously I'm hoping for some sort of success, be that a Carabao Cup or anything like that. But yeah, <laughs> anything, take anything. <laughs> what's, what's been interesting listening to United fans is them saying about bringing through the younger players. What are your thoughts on that? Obviously, you've sold Sanchez and Lukaku in the last window. Yeah, I think like. I think it's a good opportunity for the young ones, as in like they when they, like, look at Rashford, he had if he if it, we didn't get in the position where we had to play him. He would have never probably had that breakthrough that he did. As in, we had no strikers, so he played the... It was a Europa League game, I think. He scored two. And I remember went to the game after that. It was the Arsenal game. And he scored another two, I think it was. Something like that. It might have been one in the Europa League game. But if he didn't have that breakthrough, he probably wouldn't be where he is today, I don't think. And there's lots of younger players now getting a little bit more of an opportunity. Look at Greenwood um, coming in and hopefully he gets a bit more of a chance to prove himself because I think he could be a good player as well. Okay, so obviously there is a bit of a youth movement, I guess, in, in English football and stuff at the moment. Yeah. Um, obviously a lot of the foreign teams, if you look at Spain, Germany and, and teams like that, they've probably been doing that a little bit ahead of us and giving people a chance. Yeah. Do you feel like in this country we have quite a good academy system that would flourish if people are given a chance? I think, well, I think, I think like you look at Chelsea now and I think that's like just shows the quality that English academies have got. And you look at other teams across the Premier League, players coming through, like, like Southampton, for example, this last year, um, Hasnoodle coming in and playing, I think it was like six, there were like six academy graduates in the, in the first team squad. So given the opportunity, they can show they can do it like in the Prem. And you look at Chelsea now, Tammy Abraham and... Um, What's his name? Mason Mount. Mason Mount. Yeah, he's 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 looking unbelievable. He looks like a class player. So just given that opportunity, but I know Lampard says, "Oh, I've, uh, they've earned the opportunity." But there is obviously the case that they didn't, they couldn't bring any players in, so they had to play him as well. And 
and they've proved themselves. So I think if there was more, and you look at the players that have gone abroad to Germany and and gone and done it as well, and that they still got what's um what's his name um eighteen year old Bayern wanted him last year. Oh, uh, Hudson Adoy. Hudson Adoy, like Hudson Adoy's class, and he's still, he's only eighteen or nineteen. He's still got to come back into that Chelsea squad, and I think he'll get into it as well. So it just shows that given the opportunity, that's that's three players from their academy system gone straight into the first team. So do you think it's a reluctance from the older generation of managers to give players a chance? Or do you think it's people maybe that have the fans back in that are more willing to take a risk? The example of obviously Lampard, mm. former player, going there. A lot of the fans are obviously on oh, his side. Oh, they're right behind him, yeah. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, similar scenario where yeah. he's come in probably a dark cloud after Mourinho to a certain degree. Mm. He's kind of got free reigns to almost not do what he likes, but take a few more risks than if you had, for example, you like Alan Pardew going into like Newcastle. Mm. They seemed a little bit more against him or Pulis or people like that. Do you think that these younger managers are just a bit more brave with that type of stuff or I do you think, think it's that they're just I think yeah I think they probably are a little bit more brave uh, a little bit more brave with it but I think they, they're also in positions where they've almost got to because they can't go and spend a lot of money and you see that now I think a lot in the Prem where they go and teams managers are looking to other countries and they're willing to spend like 40 million on a youngster from a different country who's not really proven as well when you've got players in in your own academies that could step into that that first team I think the irony with Chelsea is obviously they've been looking for strikers since Drogba yeah. pretty much <laughs> yeah. and they, if you look at the players that have gone through they obviously went through like oh well, well they put Higuain you had um, Giroud Morata Morata that's what I was thinking of yeah and they've all sort of come in and they're all good strikers and they've all gone other places and done after and almost done quite well but I don't know whether the system didn't suit those strikers because Chelsea, well, when Hazard was there, it was sort of everything goes through Hazard. Um, but yeah, I think with now Tammy Abraham scoring, he's like seven and seven and whatever in eight games, something like that. And he, and he looks like he's flying. Yeah. So it's interesting to see if, you know, more of the top teams are willing to play those players. So obviously, like you say, United have got Mason Greenwood, mm. who, um, from speaking to a few people at United and that, and they seem like they're, yeah, I've, I've spoken to like um, just been on courses and things to like United academy staff, and they said that he's been like top for throughout the academy system. They said they've not seen a player like him, so they said they think they they think it's like big, big sort of. I uh, so he's a huge player going forward, and he's, he will potentially be a United player. It's be interesting to see if more teams are willing to do that. Obviously, a little bit of a dig as a Spurs fan but Arsenal for example mm. I'd imagine they've got some great youngsters but yeah. not a lot of them coming through and yeah, yeah. the Niles is giving a and Willock again I think, I, think that, I think that managers are doing it now more in the Prem you're seeing it more and more from the top clubs as well they're bringing those academy players through giving them the opportunity whether it be in the Carabao Cup or, or things like that and then that gives them the chance to then step on and with it, with teams like United not not quite doing as well, it again gives the chance for the op- the players to play in like uh, the squad the other day in the Europa League. There was um, Greenwood, I think, start. He scored the goal actually. In one one now, he scored the goal. So games like that can give them a bit more opportunity as well. So what's interesting as well, and I think it's actually been quite good for probably development of English football is people going abroad. 
Yeah. So if you look at like Sancho, yeah, yeah, who's definitely. almost started a little bit of a phase of people going to LA, you had Lookman from Everton who went and did the same thing. Do you think that's something that we're a little bit behind? In? I, th- I think that's also because now our players are looking to go abroad, whereas that never really used to happen too much when we get English players leaving the pre- or li- leaving England to go and play in Germany. Now players have done that and they can. And Hudson Odoi, he was halfway out the door at Chelsea but now they've shown that little bit of love for him and they want they've showed they want him and they want to give him the chance I think that's why he signed the contract to stay so yeah I think yeah what was the question originally well no just do, do you think that's something that will continue in terms yeah, of do you I think, think I, I, will, yeah I think yeah I think going to maybe Spain and Italy and yeah I'm not sure more? it might happen because well the players have done it Sancho for example have gone and, and been successful and now Looks like a top player, and he's getting in the England squad as well, and looks looks sharp, and he's young. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of talk of him going back to United, which would be interesting if he did. Oh, go I'd have him at United, definitely. Front three of him: Rashford, Martial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could do some defenders, but I think United's defenders are right. I, I think that's the one thing with um, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. I think he's people are hammering him. I mean, the United's worst start in whatever thirty years they're saying, but he's. I thought he's recruited quite well, as in two good defenders. Um, and who was the other player they got in? Um, and James as well. So, and James has probably been our top, our best, one of our he's best well, players. Yeah. He's done, he's done well coming in, like coming in from Swansea and young again and look, looks, looks decent. He's probably been our best player up to now. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah. I, f- I find it interesting that we're, we're seeing more players from lower leagues come through now as well. So if you look, obviously, you had Vardy, who was like a shining light, who mm. played, I don't I can't remember what level of football it was, like, yeah, yeah. or something like that, and there's obviously flying. Obviously, you've got James there. Big one at the minute is Tyrone Mings, mm. obviously, come from these parts. So I think you've probably played against. Yeah, I, I'm, I, yeah definitely. I remember I played against him, he was playing for Yates Town in the Southern uh-huh. League. And he um, he came on last ten minutes for the eight, so he wasn't even getting a start for them at the time. So he's he's made come on leaps and bounds since then, um, and now he looks like a top player. And like he's had, the, had an England call up, and yeah, he's flying. Yeah, so it's, I find that's an interesting route. Obviously, we talk a lot about academy football and all mm. that type of stuff. The one probably bit that I have is I don't think there's like a safety net for those type of characters. Mm. But like, not so much 16s because you have loads of college yeah, programs college program, all over that sort of thing. Yeah, but probably slightly older, like your 23s age group. You have a lo- little bit of university stuff, mm. but even then, it's you know, it's that. Yeah, the I think with players like him, I I heard things whether it be. Whatever it be, he, him being too small and him being released from his academy that he was at, and um, yeah, and and I, I don't know. I think these days we seem a bit more clued up on how big players are going to be with all the S and C and sports science, yeah, that sort of stuff. So it's weird. Well, I think, listen, obviously, he said during the England interview a couple of weeks ago what the situation was, which again is part of the times if. You didn't have what did he say? Was that so was... someone asked him? Said, "Were you released because you're too small?" He basically said, "Yeah, yeah." yeah well... Which, if you don't have the info, you're not going to yeah, know. And if yeah, you look at a kid yeah. who's just getting battered, we've all seen it. Yeah. Like, if you look at Q4s and stuff, and some Q1s are given away over a year. Yeah, it can be hard for him. We are getting better at being clued up at that. Yeah, type I of agree. Stuff. But I always think these players are going to fall through the net. Like mm. I remember a story of Zola not being taken by Tottenham because they said he was too small. Yeah. Which, Look at now and go. We could have done with a player like Zola. Yeah, yeah. Gascoigne, I think, got rejected. Like, there's so many examples of people not getting signed by yeah, clubs yeah. for a variety of reasons. But I think we'll get better 
at that. Yeah, I, at that. But I, I think agree. there still needs to be a net from probably a little bit better than there is at the minute. I know you've got the 23s league that's trying to reduce that even still. But yeah. I don't know if there's a way to try and get those, keep those lads in and try and produce. Because like you said, like you've got James who's coming from Swansea. Mm. You, I would have thought oh, it would take him a couple of years to get up to speed. Yeah, he's he has. He's like, like, yeah, he's grown in confidence since he started. I thought I watched him a couple of times in... Um, pre-season in the pre-season games I think one was against in Milan can't remember the other one was against but and he looked he missed a couple of sitters he looked off it and I thought oh he's obviously just a runner but since then he's he's been at it he's beating players he's scoring goals he's must score three I think three in the Prem this year so far but so yeah and like I said he's looking probably one of our most effective players so obviously I know we've had conversations about why I wanted to get you in here yeah main reason being your goal scorer yeah, I am. Okay, well, so, used to be. Well, you, you used to be, still are. You played in a charity game a couple of weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, got a goal, got a goal. Got a goal. <laughs> I, from what I heard, you were very effective in possession, not so effective out of possession. Well, yeah. that's, that's more my game, in possession. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, yeah, it was, I mean, well, starting from, I, I just go back to being, play, or starting to um, grow up and I was, uh, I was half decent when I was younger. I was in and out of a academy system sort of in with rovers bristol rovers when i was maybe under under eights under nine and something like that um and then that stopped i don't know i don't actually know if it was it could back then it was uh, more a center of excellence rather than a academy system so um and then after that under 11s i went into swindon um and was at swindon for a couple of years didn't get through there at all no joy. Had a, then I got a bit older and had a trial at Bristol City. Um, and again, didn't make it through. So it wasn't like, it, I, I wasn't part of an academy system continuously growing up. But at grassroots level, I was, I was always a midfielder, centre midfielder. But I've, part of my enjoyment of football has always been around scoring goals. That's what, if I come off the pitch and I hadn't scored, and we'd won five 0 I'd still be disappointed because I'm more. I'm not. I'm. At, I want the team to win. And I am a team player, and I. I learned that more as I got older and started to play men's football. But I obviously I used to love scoring goals. So as a midfielder, I used to want to get forward and score. Um, so that's um, strange. I obviously I didn't know you growing up. Knew you from. 17 yeah, yeah. Like that. I would assume you've always been a striker yeah so how did you end up so as well I didn't actually so, so a midfielder I, I think was being I think at my grassroots club I was always one of the better players so you sort of play your better players they don't listen to this yeah so well, <laughs> well I mean I'm more effective this is back a long time ago but <laughs> but you put your better players centre mid get up and down the pitch that sort of thing um, and then I also growing up my, my idols as well were, were Roy Keane um, and Paul Scholes like through, through United I, and well Nicky Butt as well I used to oh, like, but Roy Keane especially <laughs> Philip <laughs> no but Roy Keane especially was one like my dad used to love him so, and that must have rubbed off on me I used to love him so I just wanted to be that centre midfielder um, but like I said I had the enjoyment of scoring goals so the, the transition didn't actually come until when I, I started a sort of like one of those programmes we were talking about those those ones where you fall through the net and didn't get through anywhere but I got onto a programme at um, Team Bath and Team Bath at the time were playing were in the conference um, they were conference south um, so they had set up a programme a 16 to 18s programme here at Bath University and 
I got onto it, um, got through, which I was really pleased about. And we had a really good squad and a really good coach. Matt Hale was our under-18s coach, who's now the uh, academy manager at Southampton. And he taught us a lot about being not just good footballers, but good people as well. Really look up to him. Um, but in that squad, we we had a good bunch of lads. And then, But anyway, so going back to the, the goal scoring, we I started centre mid. Again, I used to be an attacking centre mid and that, that thing you said a minute ago about the charity game, the out of possession stuff, all the lads used to get on at me about not getting back. And anyway, the, the lad who was a striker, um, I won't name him, but he got injured. <laughs> and he, uh, there was a place up top. So I played the game up top and I went and scored a hat-trick. And from that day on, so like I said, this is under 18, I'm probably 16, 17 years old. From that point, I, I played up top and I was and I scored loads of goals that year for the under-18s at Team Bar. Um, and at the end of that season, I also got um, Matt, Her- Matt, Matt spoke to um, the first team manager at Team Bar, who, like I said, were in the conference and, and got me signed on there as well. So it was like a real positive year at under-18s and being a striker as well. So that was like my first year playing as a striker. This is interesting because I would imagine... I was completely opposite. I was a defender. Like I used to enjoy defending, and probably used. To, I used to joke. I scored two goals a season, and after yeah. that, I'd be like, "I'm done." So yeah. I scored two goals in the first two games. That's me done for the year. Yeah, I know. Um, it's interesting what enjoy, where enjoyment comes out yeah. of football for different people. Yeah, but I would have thought if you liked goal scoring, you would have gone to your coaches and stuff at a younger age. Mm. I want to play up front. Yeah, like if you look at kids that I coach now, mm. like, you have some of them that. are clearly more defensive but they're like oh no yeah, I want to play yeah. higher or yeah or I don't if... know whether it was just because of my whole life I played centre mid so I branded myself as that centre mid player but that attacking centre mid so you're 10 it, the, the... I literally used to be the 10 when it didn't exist so that would be me <laughs> I used to be the 10 but not get back <laughs> so yeah that was me really and then going on from that um, I, I Matt, Matt Hill then went to Weymouth um, who again were in the conference, uh, conference south. Um, and he took me with, took me with him there. Um, again, I was still a youngster coming through. Didn't really, I did, I played in the reserves for a few games. Um, I remember scoring a hat trick for the reserves there. And that got me a little, a chance to play in the first team. And I played maybe two or three games in the conference. I must have been 17 at the time. Um, I didn't manage to get a goal and really make a breakthrough there in the conference um, for Weymouth, but they were on a they were on in a losing battle anyway. They were, they didn't have a lot of money at the club and they ended up getting relegated that year. Um, and then I made a they made the move to tool station level. Um, again, I was still really young, and this is like my proper first my first proper season playing men's football. And as a youngster, I was I was quite a I was quite physically developed. I was in, almost in a man's body already when I was 18. So by that point, I was quite comfortable playing men's football. But I'd say I learned loads. And yeah, and then I, I played for um, a team called Cowan Town and scored a few. I can't remember any goals that year, but I was really enjoying playing up top, really enjoying playing men's football, picking up a little bit of money on the side and then sort of progressed from there. Went to a team who were challenging for the Tool Station League the next year. Um, so Larkle signed for them, and I think I scored maybe twenty-two goals that year, and we won that. We won the league as well. So 
I stayed with them again. We couldn't get promoted because the ground weren't good enough. So that's one of the one nice. of the one of the lower league uh, one of the lower league problems. But the next year they'd say they committed to if if they did get promoted if they did win the league again we would they would make the adjustments to the ground and get and um and go up. So yeah, the next year I think we 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 did it. We went again. I think I scored forty nine goals that year. Um, so probably one of my most prolific years um, in the in the tool station. Scored forty nine goals and we did win the league. We got promoted. Um, and then it was like my first. I I because I I'd actually left Larkle in on one of the seasons to go to the Southern League. Not uh, I went to Port and didn't really get an opportunity. Um, and went back. Um, so went back to Larkle. So then when I stepped up the level with Larkle that was like the perfect opportunity because it was with a team that I knew we, we knew we had a good squad we knew we'd have a good chance playing in the Southern League and we actually got to the off the back of that getting promoted we then went and got to the playoff final of the um, the Southern League as well to get promoted into the Southern League that was suddenly did one that was to get promoted into the Prem and Again, I think I scored. I must have scored about thirty-six goals that year as well. And that was about, you know, exactly. How I don't <laughs> around the, I don't know, but I'm not including cup. <laughs> it's around about that, but yeah. So I just had some some really good a couple good few seasons back to back, and then where then work started coming into it, coming into it weekends work, working for Southampton. You. Or for any academy, um, any coach will know you've got to do you've got to do weekends as part of your job, and that sort of had an effect on me because I was having to miss training during the week, and that's never easy. It's never it doesn't set work sit well with the manager, and yeah, that was sort of, and then work sort of kicked on, and then the end came when not the end really, but as in the the turning point was I, um, I played a game. I was playing for Larko again in the. Southern League um, and I'd gone to take a shot on the edge of the box um, and the ball's sort of in front of me and I'm sort of trying to kick it to my to my right and the lad's coming straight onto the ball to clear it and he's I'm stretching to shoot and he's kicked the front of the ball I'm kicking the back and he's gone through way harder and snapped my knee ligament um, so grade three snapped there and then I really struggled to get back from that I was probably out for about a year um and work had progressed a lot in that point because I had to work to earn my money. I wouldn't get money any money through football anymore. That's the reality of um, non-league football as well. And yeah, so from that point on, I sort of focused more on work um, and never really made it back to any real standard playing football, which is a shame. Well, I guess obviously injuries are quite common, especially in Saturday League. Mm. I'm not saying that you were, but often people are out of shape and stuff, which doesn't yeah, help yeah, yeah. with injuries. That's part of it. And then obviously you're, you know, if if people have been out on the night before and then they're trying to play when you're dehydrated, all the, there's loads of factors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you find the rehab process in terms of that, and what like what support did you get? Because I'd imagine we quite hard as a yeah. Summer. So I didn't at the start. I saw I've tried to get back into running as soon as I could. Um, so that was the first thing I could do because I couldn't really open my knee up, but I could do straight line stuff. So I started getting back into that quite, I'd say maybe six to eight weeks after it happened. So that might have been maybe too soon. I don't know. Anyway, about a month or month or two, yeah, went by. So maybe we're looking at maybe eight weeks in now. And I got some, there's a guy who runs a gym near me and, uh, I, he offered to do some rehab sessions with me just one-to-ones doing lots of stuff just to strengthen my knee 
Um, so did that and then sort of got back to um, a, a place where I could sort of kick the ball again, but I could also feel it. And I don't know whether that was me. And then it's also playing on your mind then with an injury, a, with a bad knee injury. I think it, anyone who's done it would know that it sort of plays on your mind. You're sort of half-hearted on that leg. And um, yeah, once I got back to playing, I could still feel it a bit. But that was, I didn't get back to playing until maybe six months after. Um, and not even, I wasn't really playing properly um as in with work it was in and out in and out and didn't really get back into it at all so in terms of like any structure stuff with physios and stuff you no really I, d- I, I didn't no that. i went to, i know I, sorry i did i went to the nhs and had some physio sessions with them um i didn't really think that it was great i didn't really think they were doing anything for me um i had had what else did I have? I went through the NHS. That was about it, really. But I didn't really have a great deal of support. Did a lot of it on my own, and that was probably part of the reason of not getting back. Yeah. I suppose it's, it's easier for for the people that have physios every day. Yeah. In the days where you're like, oh, I can't be bothered with this. Mm. They'll be there to go, no, come on, like, it's important. Agreed, yeah. It's easier just to Exactly, to sack it off. And, yeah, I, don't, I just think perhaps I needed a bit more support with it to get if I was looking at getting back playing to a decent standard yeah. um, which I probably didn't get or didn't seek either so it'd be interesting to, well, it obviously happens to a lot of people I know you can get personal insurance and stuff a little bit but yeah. then equally are you going to be paying that every month and all that type of stuff mm. whether there's something the I think there, there are I think some clubs because I remember on your pay packet they used to take a little bit of money and I think it was insurance I think it was some sort of cover for the players so I, th- I know some non-league clubs definitely do that yeah. but not the club I was at at the time unfortunately so okay so I'm going to rewind a little bit yeah the first things you said when you went from 18 to men's football is you yeah. learned a lot yeah that's one of the first things you said so just talk like me through us through what did you learn when you when you come from being, like you said, quite physically developed in your mm. under eighteen team or whatever, to yeah. then going into men's football? What type of things? Um, I say I just learned a lot more about the game. Obviously, being new to being a striker, I'd done a few practices and drills at under 18s where it helps you structure your movement as a striker. But I think I was pre- I was pretty good at holding the ball up. Um, so I got a lot of practice at that and playing against men and me being obviously only 18 again I could hold my own but learning to do that so being able to protect the ball was quite a big part of it Um, and then and then just just movement I'd say just movement as a striker I think probably something I was quite good at I was never really that quick so it wasn't like I was a runner in behind but I was someone who could find a find a yard create a bit of space myself to get a shot on target um, and that was probably one of the things I learned. So who did you learn those from? Were those like coaches or people you were playing with? I'd or probably just say yeah game, I'd or? say again under 18s I probably there was a good season or so because under 18s was across two years um, so essentially under 17s and under 18s but across it was in the first year I transferred to a, a, a striker so I probably had a good season of coaching um, doing some some 
structured practices where you we used to break off and just go strikers and we'd work on a little bit of movement whether it be coming short and one going in behind we used to play with a two up top then so you have uh, all that sort of thing one comes short one goes in behind one runs the channel that sort of thing um and then transferred that in but mostly when i was playing men's football i used to play up top on my own so like i said learning to hold the ball up and protect the football and then i was quite skillful on the ball to be able to create a yard to pass or or get a shot off around the box okay so do you think there were transferable skills from when you used to play centre midfield as a kid yeah to then going up top because i'd like for me for example i know if i went up front mm. i would be able to shield the ball off one side because that's the side i'm more comfortable with yeah yeah i'm right footed to put and keep the ball on my right hand side yeah shield it my left if you asked me to go the other way, I'd really struggle. Mm. And obviously, technically, I, I wasn't great. Mm. I, wasn't, I wasn't great. I, I, I learned longer distribution rather than playing short. Yeah. That was the way like my, yeah, my youth yeah. team played and mm. um, all of that type of stuff. So for you, do you think there was transferable skills from your upbringing in grassroots football that helped you? In yeah, I think so. Because I used to be quite keen on being that technical player. So I was... Fairly technical on the ball, decent with it, and my feet I could dribble. Um, and I'd say I'd definitely take those skills into being a striker. As in, yeah, I could I could shift the ball quite well. Um, I could use a little move, whatever it be, a little trick to create a yard. To my favourite move, my go-to move would probably be like a Cruyff turn. Um, I got that one on both feet, so you get the old double Cruyff out. Um, uh, so yeah, I think definitely there was lots of skills that came or benefits from playing centre mid where you've got to be a slightly more technical player to then going up top and applying that there as well. Okay, so when you were younger, mm. did you used to practice that stuff? Yeah, or? so I'd say that that's what I was going to say. So I used to go out and practice with my dad all the time and I'd always practice shooting. So even when I was a centre midfielder, I always used to practice shooting. And looking back on it, that's why I'm quite good at finishing because... I used to just do it all the time. When, that's because being that age, being a youngster growing up, you, you want to go if you go and practice. So that means going kicking the ball in a goal most of the time. So I think I, I did a lot of that, but it was quite structured. My dad was a coach as well. He was our coach, but he'd also done his badges. So he had he he wasn't just a grassroots yeah. coach, but he had a bit a bit of knowledge. So we used to set up little practices where I beat a code and stick it in the bottom corner, that sort of thing. So we used to do lots of things like that that also helped me playing as a centre midfielder getting forward but that clearly helped when I got when I got moved to a striker in my under 18s and as a man okay so I guess with that you would say that like finishing is a skill that could be learned rather yeah. than just something that's naturally definitely I think I think I see that a lack of in well we work for Southampton I see that as we I don't see many natural finishers and whether that's because we don't do it enough or or they just don't practice it enough I don't know um, so yeah I think it could be something that's just I think it's definitely a skill that needs to be learned a lot as in practiced a lot and it's an easy one to practice um, but because it's well ball striking uh, detail as well with your shooting whether you're putting it in the corner I, I rarely would use my laces to shoot I would often I always use the inside of my foot um, so whether it's more I don't know that just comes into it as well See, I find it interesting because if you look back to, I guess, 
I'm going to say mid nineties. Mm. The collection of strikers that England had around them was ridiculous. Mm. So, like off the top of my head, you obviously had like Shearer, yeah, yeah. Sheringham, Andy Cole, Ian Wright. Letizia would play like ten or anything like that. I'm definitely missing a couple of others in there. Yeah. But when did Owen come into it? Was he probably late a little 90s, bit, a yeah, bit later? Yeah, yeah. ninety eight maybe because yeah, yeah. he was a youngster thing. But yeah, so like Owen, people like that. Um, so you have they're a like proper collection. strikers yeah. where then, finishers yeah but then you go for a stage where realistically we had like Owen mm. and then Rooney came on the scene and then and they're not I wouldn't describe as natural finishers like no. obviously Heskey played for a bit yeah you had Crouch would play up top for a bit Defoe was probably one of the more yeah yeah ones. I agree with that yeah um, but then for whatever reasons there was other aspects of games that mm. coaches didn't fancy do you think the Anything to do with English football, mm. or the style of football? The style of football I think led I think, to yeah. a lack of goal scorers, or I'd say yeah, the style of football has affected it in a way that we don't play with a out and out striker. Your strikers, sure, you you obviously want that goal scorer, but you would play through your striker a lot more now, as in. Back then, it might be stay high, stay central, get yourself in and around the box and score goals. That would be your instructions for a or the instructions I'd receive as a striker as well. Even even not not long ago, but I'd say I'd say that was similar for them. But now the striker is almost more again like more of a technical player as well, getting on the ball, holding it up, feeding players, keeping possession. You don't see that. Just out and out goal scorer. You, there's, there you can find them now, obviously, but they're not like they were. I'd say, especially for England. Yeah, so it's interesting. Like, obviously, Kane's prolific now. He, yeah, so it? and he would be what you would. He'd be that sort of striker. He, he stays around the box. He's not not a runner. He's not going to run anyone, but he's get. He's really good at getting in the right places to score. He, he, if you look compared him to the other people that are prolific in the England teams, so you look at Sterling's probably your next, your next yeah, one in the completely squad. different player. Same, but they're probably similarish to Rashford mm. and your Sancho's husband, yes. the boys are coming yeah. in who are probably quite quick, almost Thierry on likes good dribblers yeah, yeah. can go past players, yeah. people and score. What's been obviously really interesting over the last few years is Sterling's development from a wide player who could just beat people and mm. set up Suarez or whoever. Yeah. So actually now he's. Really added goals to his game, yeah. yeah. Which I'm sure, as a United fan, you're thrilled about. Yeah. <laughs> but no, but you're going back to just to Kane though. He's he is that one who is almost back to that old sort of out and out striker. He's just a he's a striker. That's what he is. Whereas when you look at talk about players like Rashford, he can play left, he can play right, he can play through the middle. Same with um, Sterling. They're they're like those sort of they're dribblers, yeah. Whereas Kane couldn't do any of the other any other jobs apart from. Up top, yeah, he's there to score goals, and that's his job. So, do you think that that's a progression for like us as a country? The fact that we've got people that can do other things as well as score goals, or do you think that actually it would be better for us as a nation to have people that are just really good at putting the ball in the back of the net? So, I use. Aguero is a good example mm. from Argentina yeah. of someone who is just ridiculously prolific yeah. and doesn't Crazy. do a lot else but when he's balls in the 
box and yeah. um, watch him go, well, that's going to be a goal. Yeah. Suarez might be another one. He's yeah. sharp and around the thing, finishes Lewandowski the other night oh, as his first yeah. round. Ridiculous, like the one that's come across his body first time and you just put it in the back of the net. Do you think that that's a regression for us that we've got less players that specialise in mm. just putting the ball in the back of the net but can do all these other things or do you think it's a progression the fact that we're creating more well-rounded... Yeah, I think I think it's, I think it's really positive that we're creating those top players who are well-rounded you've got those wingers who can score, now learn to score goals and I think they're I don't know what, whether it's say it's harder to create those players but they're they've all there's, you look at the England squad there's some top players in that squad now but like like we were just saying about the Harry Kane thing, it's hard to create players who are just, and Aguero. They're hard to create players that are just goal scorers. And I don't know how. I'd be interested to know how what their what their sort of academy, what their upbringing looked like in football, what their journey looked like to allow or produce that player who can just score goals. Or is it a common thread? Is it where they just stand up there? And yeah. score goals at youth team. It doesn't matter if they're the smallest one, the biggest one. Were they just... always looked at as that player, or did they used to be a centre mid? A centre mid who who weren't quick enough, or whatever, or weren't strong enough. I don't know, or big enough. Were they that sort of thing? Were they a winger that, like I said, weren't quick enough, or did they? I don't know. How did, I'd be really interested to know how that happened because I'm just trying to think in in the academy system. That you do, you do see players who are just really good finishers, but there's you I'd see say, more of you see more of yeah you. yeah you see more p- players yeah. trying to become that sort of player and almost they'd be the ones that stand out. Whereas the striker who doesn't really get involved, but he still sticks it in the back of the net. Scores four out of five. Still scores four, but you cut you coming off saying, "Wow, that number seven who was dribbling and in and out and all that sort of thing." Who couldn't hit the back of the net though? Yeah, yeah, you'd be saying, "Oh, he's a top player." Yeah, this, it'd be interesting to see the development of that. So, mm. but then again, what age do you specialise at with that? I don't know. That's what I don't. Yeah, like, well, so tough to specialise at. Well, like you just said, there you've got transferable skills from playing deeper. Where yeah, you had to learn how to shield the ball, maybe receiving it as a four or daffing to dribble past them or your first touches or because you're playing centre midfield you've learnt to do hook turns off both feet Yeah. if you hadn't had that exposure at your younger age groups yeah. it wouldn't have served you so well playing higher True. so do you go okay he's always been he's a nine he's always going to be a nine we're playing nine the whole time Yeah. is that a way that's going to help you produce those top players or is it that they get a load a load of different exposures different positions mm. and then all of a sudden you find out actually he's not bad at finishing yeah I guess either way, you're probably going to lose some players through the net in terms of the, some. If you don't nail down a position, they're probably going to not become yeah they could yeah. be equally. Would you stick with them if they weren't necessarily that they were fairly average at a few positions, but they weren't top draw at one position, like I said, position that they specialise in? Would you stick with them? I don't know. I find Harry Kane really interesting as well because interesting one as well because what do you know about do you know what do you know about his academy do you know anything about his so as far as I'm aware I've spoken to a few different people but it's quite vague Mm. in terms of it from my understanding it was he wasn't like outstanding Mm. as he was growing up I I believe I believe he was at Arsenal and got released Mm. I believe that that was the case and I think that he 
Because he went into the Tottenham thing and he was, quite, I think, a bigger lad yeah. and used to be fairly clinical around the box but didn't do much else. Mm. But wasn't like ridiculously clinical, weren't banging in goals all yeah. the time, but just kind of every step up he went, he did all right, did all right, yeah. did all right. And obviously when he's coming to the first team, he went on like seven different loan spells. Mm. Like there's this picture I remember seeing of the him, Leicester one. Yeah. yeah him, Leicester Vardy, one. Yeah. like Danny Drinkwater and yeah. someone else all sitting on the bench in like Championship or League One game. Mm. And look, couldn't, couldn't get a gig. Yeah. And then realistically, the only reason Harry Kane got an opportunity was because Adebayor was there mm. and Soldado at Tottenham. And Soldado didn't fit what Pochettino wanted, high energy, that one. Mm. Soldado, he was meant to be a finisher. Yeah, he was from be Villarreal. Player, yeah. Well, he, he was. He, I think yeah. he was prolific at um, Valencia. Uh, Valencia, Valencia yeah. and then went back out to Villarreal. But he was prolific over there, but yeah. really struggled over here. Yeah, yeah. A, a common joke was it was Soldado Pen. Was it was? He name. could only score pens, literally. <laughs> so, I think like for him, he didn't fit. And then Adebayor, I think at a time where they were either didn't necessarily see my to eye or mm. just something wasn't right so then they were just like he, oh. put, he did quite well though didn't he um, and by, yeah, yeah he did alright he did alright yeah. like, and he was he's like lively and I thought like he would have been alright for Poch as in I know he had a little bit of a mm. maverick type attitude but yeah. like, he worked relatively hard especially when like he had points prove. I remember the time where he's done the knee slides at the Arsenal oh, fans of Man City for me it was quite but yeah it's it's um, I thought you were right, but for whatever reason, that didn't work. So he played Harry Kane, and similar to Rashford, just all of a sudden started scoring goals. Yeah. And then you were like, oh, okay. Who's this? And then, and then he just kind of stuck, and then obviously he's gone on like since then. Yeah. But I think it really goes back to opportunity gives you, like, you don't know if someone's ready for that opportunity to, you give them it, and then if they mm. succeed, yeah. then obviously maybe they're ready. If you don't, then maybe they're not. Like There's plenty of other people that have given that opportunity, didn't quite work. But that's them. what I wonder as well. What would have happened to Rashford if he didn't score them got though didn't score in that game, didn't score in the next game? Would they have stuck with him? Would I don't would he have still got his opportunity? Would as he was that quality there that he was definitely gonna make it through. Same with Greenwood now. He's scored scored I think that's his first senior goal in the in the Europa League last week. Um but he's not really had that mass, a huge amount of opportunity to go and start games and go and score goals. So I wonder what will happen if he doesn't. It's one I, does he end up like Fraser Campbell's of the world, who was like was meant to be good at United, yeah. didn't really get opportunity. Went out on loads to Tottenham, did okay. Went out mm. to Sunderland, did okay, and kind of floated around. And like, I guess those first few games, like if you can get a couple of goals under your belt and the fans get on side and it's you're, you're, so what helpful. it must do for your confidence as well I think that's part of the James thing as well at United is the confidence thing of scoring a couple of goals um, and everyone getting behind him yeah. and so yeah I, think. I was listening to an interview with Ian Wright yesterday and he was saying one of the big things like he came on a few times as a sub yeah and like it hit the post and like obviously he said oh, I was like I love doing moves he's like for me I'd gone from trying to show off in front of 20 people on a Saturday mm. to like 20,000 he goes yeah. it's brilliant because every time I did something good they went ooh yeah yeah, yeah. and he, he said but when they put me on I eventually or when I started I eventually scored he goes it gave, gave you the confidence you feel like you belong there yeah yeah which I suppose the goal and score you, is the that, main thing that that's you what I was going to say belong. as in he probably I, I imagine he maybe I don't know I wonder if he doubted, doubted when you go to United am I going to be able to do it at this level 
And he must have done. He, he must have. He's got gone from Swansea, yeah, exactly. like, championship team, like not done not very not scored a huge amount of goals for Swansea either. No. No, I think he, I think he matched. I think he scored three goals or something like that for in a season for Swansea, and he scored three already for United. But um, yeah, so not hugely prolific, and he must have been questioning, can he do it at that level? Now, do it scoring three goals, being one of United's top or best starters this year, I'd say. He's must be flying with confidence. Yeah, it definitely must. That confidence thing, I think, was a big, big for a striker. Mm. Um, so, question I have for you then. Yeah. So, the ball's coming into you in the box, in and around the box. What is your first thought? As a goal scorer, as an analyst scorer, what is your first thought? Is it what I think it's? Yeah, it's just going to be exactly what you think. <laughs> can I score? Yeah. So, straight away, that is. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be always thinking, can I score? Definitely, it'd be that'd be my first thought, and I'd say that should be for any any striker should be if I get the ball around the box, can I score? Okay, so the next question comes there. It comes to this. Say, for example, you go to shoot and it gets blocked, or you go wide, and then two seconds later, someone has a pop. So, like, I'm here for a sweaty, I'm yeah, here for a yeah. pass. As a goal scorer, then what is your? Because I always find that's a really weird dynamic because as a coach but also as a player I'd never really want to tell my striker to stop shooting because yeah. I always feel like if you tell him to stop shooting well why is he on the pitch yeah. but equally there are times where they need to pass. Goal, keep, uh, goal scorers make ridiculous decisions about not passing to someone else like you look at the Salah I was the just going to say yeah exactly so what in, in your head so you, say for example you've had one, one of those where you've just gone wide and then someone yeah. has a pop at you yeah. in your head what are you thinking now are you going I'm wrong or are you going well, I, I think I would normally just say it was on for me to shoot. If it's on for me to shoot, I, I, I think there's, that's justified. If it's on to score a goal, the only other thing with that is, like you say, with the sweaty, the pass across goal for the tapping, that one's a little bit different as in you're looking at a definite goal for that. Whereas if you're not in a position where it's going to be a definite goal, then there might be some question around that. But I'd say if you, you're in a position where you can shoot, I would, and saying speaking to any players that I would coach like you said you don't want to ever tell them to not shoot and as long as it's on to shoot and they and they shoot if they shoot and it goes wrong or whatever then it's the, I'd say it's the right decision okay so then do you are you reactive off of defenders so will you go I'm going to take my touch there I actually have seen him creep half the yard so I'm going to do that or do you literally as balls coming in go right I feel where he is I'm going to do a little ham roll and then shot I don't know, really. I you lay off the try and play off the cover as much as you can. But I'd say little bits of movement are are have always been something I did quite well. Um, as in just pulling away from a man and that, that just to make sure you can maybe get a, a chance to shoot. Um, but yeah, I'm also I, I'd say I'm pretty good at pinning a player and then just creating a yard to shoot as well. I try and play. I think you just play off the cuff. You don't. You don't think about it too much when you're playing. What you're doing, you're just doing it. Just almost. do it. Yeah. Okay. So, say for example, this is a skill that I, I find really difficult with the younger ones. I don't know if you get this can be taught. You you played off the cuff. You've beaten the defender. Mm. How do you then compose yourself to go right, right? Because in in my head as a defender, I'm going to hit the target, which probably isn't what I think. Your thing is probably putting the back of the net. Yeah, I mean, I'd say. So I, how do you I, how do you teach that composure or that? Calm yeah, that, that, that I'd say that is one of the hardest things to teach. Is players then when they get that opportunity, 
often you look at it and it's so rushed and that's when they lose the lose the detail and so i'd say just trying to help i don't know repetition of being in that position i'd say you would practice it but i'd say and showing as much detail as you come with your finish you don't often see you do actually but one of the actually you see Alan Shearer used to be, I think, he, I think they said he used to aim for the keeper's legs and smash it towards the keeper um, and say the keeper wouldn't, he wouldn't sort himself out to, to stop it. But I think you look at Aguero's goals, Kane's goals, very often, more often than not, he's not smashing it towards goal. There's good detail beyond the finish. So whether it be the inside of the foot bending it or hitting it low, you're not, it's very, it's be very, rare that I think you just see him hitting it towards goal so that hitting it on target for you yeah. for so that repetition of going away and practicing of this is going to go bottom corner every time yeah I think finish. so I think that's got to be something that any goal scorer should be aiming for get the ball they're aiming for the corner of the goals this is what's really interesting I was on the coaching course recently and one of the things they said which I think is really fair but I don't know how at what age you'd implement this they said that over a game, you might get five opportunities or six opportunities. Mm. So going and just practicing, go after go after go after go, yeah. isn't realistic to what you have in a game. Mm. Which I completely understand because I'm kind of like, well, actually, they need to focus on that one. Because if you, if you give them ten opportunities and they score yeah. seven, well, one of those three in a game could be one that they miss. Mm. But if you're only getting kids to practice... 10 every two weeks because you're correct for them or anything like that yeah yeah is that enough repetition for them to actually develop the technique in order to be able to finish effectively as they get older yeah that's a good question this is a tough one but then you know you said about them they only get that many chances what are they saying then well, how well, do you, they're, they're how saying do you get there do a session that they do other stuff mm. so you might like, say for example you might do a possession practice yeah this is a really rough thing like but you might be doing a possession practice, then all of a sudden, like you'll blow a whistle, they come in and they got to finish on that one. Yeah. So not okay. loads of repetition. Yeah, yeah. No, I get that sort of thing, but I think, and I think with repetition, I'm a believer in repetition that you you will then you you like the memory of it. Of then when you get into that position, you should be showing that you showing that that same technique of finishing. You look at Beckham with free kicks, things like that. I know that's a dead ball, and but the amount of repetition that goes into things like that, Ronaldo with his free kicks, it's all about practicing and getting better at that one thing. And I bet, I, I, I bet Kane in lots of his sessions, uh, Aguero and lots of his sessions, I bet he gets the ball and he just lashes it in the goal. I say lashes it, he's, he's sh- with, with, yeah, with D, yeah, I, I bet they're, they're doing lots of finishing. I'd say, and I, I, I reckon that's probably the same for um, Sterling. I think he will be doing a lot of finishing practices. To when so when he gets into those positions, he's showing a lot more, well, detail and and quality of his finishing. Yeah, I sort of see playing for City is getting more opportunities to do. It yes, well, half of them has happened at <laughs> yeah. the back stick, which I think you could take them, but. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. If you look at other sports as well, they're really being like, so America, I'm into American sports quite a lot, so mm. they go and do loads of repetitions of the same set pattern. Or, yeah. Um, in basketball, they'll do loads and loads of shots from the same thing, yeah. but they have someone standing underneath the hoop. The person moves from one end to the other, throw it to him, he shoots. Yeah. And same thing over and over and mm. over again, which they 
make a make a point of why they continue and improve as they get older. I'd probably say that's something that in football we're a little bit behind with is we almost say at an age of like 24, 25, people stop being able to improve on stuff or stop being able to develop mm. skills and whatnot. But I wonder sometimes if it's because we don't go away and like the culture of going away and practicing on the skill probably isn't as high. Like mm. Ronaldo in interviews came out and said he would go away and practice his heading for yeah, and look at look at his head yeah. now, or he'd go and practice free kicks. Mm. Whereas actually, if you look at a number of like I'm not going to name any, but if you look at a lot of players, I feel like maybe they don't just go and practice and go. Actually, I really struggle with this. So you might have a really quick winner, yeah, who struggles with their end product. Yeah, or yeah. do they go away over off season and go? Actually, you know what? I'm just going to hammer my end product yeah. for the next eight weeks. I think they do. I think uh, they must do. I think that's things they need to. They know they must need to improve at, and they have to go and that. That's what you need to do to improve. You can't you, get better at it. Culturally, though, I don't don't think that's a, a thing. Oh, I, well, I'm saying I'm, I remember hearing like a I know it's Phil Neville, but he he said he needed to work on his own his own product. I remember he, he was this someone around this. He would practice a, a step over. And he was saying, I did it in a game and whipped a ball in. And he was like, and someone hammered him for it or something. But but he'd gone out and practiced that. So when he went into the game, he could then use a step over, beat a man and whip a ball in. But I, I went, like United, I think, especially around that time, that culture was there. Yeah, like, okay, that culture yeah. of improvement was there. But I mean, generically, I don't know. And I, again, I could be wrong on this. Obviously, I was scholar places mm. I saw people staying out doing keep ups or two yeah. touch or stitch mm. I saw people doing corners yeah free kicks, free kicks yeah. I didn't see a lot of going actually I really struggle at um, that driven pass for where I've got open out and zing it to my right winger yeah I'm going to stay out for half an hour every day and practice that mm. and again that could have just been where I was or yeah, yeah. attention but I don't know whether It'd be really interesting to see whether uh, a lot of Prem clubs, Championship clubs, League One, League Two clubs, do people stay out for half an hour, 45 minutes? And if they do, what are they doing? Is it is it pens? Is it free kicks, corners? Because that's that stuff's fun. Like, yeah, I'd be yeah. all over just yeah. practicing two Finishing, touch. or yeah. a little bit of But yeah, and then things like that, little bits of two touch and keep ball, those sorts of things. But, but as a centre-half, whatever is that necessarily the best use of your time whereas a four mm. is that the best use of your time if you're doing that for 25 minutes every day it probably will improve your touch mm. yeah does a winger go and get the ball and just cross in 20 footballs and would that session? make them better if they did yeah I think it would yeah by the way <laughs> I think it would as in yeah the repetition of it I think it improves you okay so obviously I know you've recently started your AYA yeah um, I think you've done two blocks is that right uh, yeah two blocks so the first one was a core block um, both three days um, this one was more of a so yeah all the there was must have been about seven or eight um, presentations um, and then the second block was the the social block so it then goes into the four corners the next four blocks okay so I know there's obviously there was one bit we were discussing the other day regarding the social social corner where you were saying about them um, was it notice putting them on notice or something like so, that so yeah the, oh, yeah, I quite I like this cool. I actually yeah I really like there was, there's loads it's like any course there's bits you you sort of disagree with which is good there's bits you agree with and then you little bits you take away as well um, and apply to your own coaching and that was one it was like the we talk a lot about like the praise and stuff isn't, when it's empty praise but 
There's empty praise, yeah, but it's just that's the noticing. So that's the, for example, the, oh, well done, Freddy, that sort of thing. That You've said well done. You haven't said why. That you can go into detail. Maybe you might do that in, in the break or whatever or at, when you get them in, but that's the notice. So they, they, they know you've noticed them and just little bits so that you, obviously, sometimes when you're coaching, you've got a big group and that just that it makes them feel secure in the group if they know you know they're there sort of thing you're not just because you get the ones that stand that you get them in same ones will stand at the back but as long as they know that you're noticing them it's a i think it's, it makes it a lot better environment for them to be in sort of thing because they know you're you're there as a coach and you know they're there yeah. and they sorry they know you're that you've you're you're seeing them and they're not just someone stand at the back it's interesting because we would we would use the example of like a little fist bump to say well done to someone, a little yeah. high five. Like if they've played a really good pass in training, go, call them over and go, love that little high five. Yeah, and you're saying about noticing, which I think is really interesting. This yeah. social corner, big one for me at the minute is the psychology around sport as well. I think mm. that it's probably underplayed a little bit, mm. and at the younger age groups, it's hard because obviously they're developing as kids and people let alone obviously their you know their, their, their work as um like footballers if you like but for me i think the psychology type of stuff is really interesting to see we're talking about confidence goal scorers yeah, yeah. so how does that actually oh you look at well you look at confidence not just that effect confidence is such a huge effect on anything in football i think or in sport probably um but how you look at a team in confidence you look at when ollie took over same team, but United looked a completely different team just because of the confidence that was flowing through the club, not just the, play, the individual players, but the whole club. Everyone was behind Ollie, everyone was behind the team, and you they reflect that reflect on the pitch. I mean, I think if we went and played at PSG now, we'd probably go and uh, get battered <laughs> six or seven. Um, but yeah, so, so I'm assuming you got a corner on that, uh, a block on that. Yeah, so it'll be psych block. I think Tech Pack and the, be uh, the to see same what you come back with the psychology corner on. Yeah, I think that's the next one. I was um, yeah, but I think that is the next one. I so think. on your social corner stuff, obviously I can see you've got some, some notes in front of you. What other highlights did you come from that? So it was more around, so yeah, I, I spoke about like the environment, but just making that environment that you're coaching in as secure as possible for the players because you obviously we all got players with players have got things going on at, at home um, and whatever but it's making sure that your environment's the same one they know what they're coming to and once they're in that environment it's a safe place for them and that's when learning's going to happen things like like i said just the almost repetition of what you're doing every week so they know what they're coming into not not everything's brand new or not even yeah chaotic like a good word but they they just know what they're coming to and like i said it's safe so that's one thing i'm going to look at I think I think we do lots already, or I do, I do lots already. That it makes it a safe environment. We do that as clubs as well. Um, but then just looking at other little bits. So, like I said, the noticing, even if there's just a, a rival practice, go and say look, we we would say hello to all the boys straight away. But having a watch, giving them a little well done straight away, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to just I'll just have a look through now. Um, yeah, these are, I'd have to go through these. That's right. I'm surprised um, you walked, to be honest. But yeah, no, I just, uh, I, I've, it's good to reflect anyway. Ah, uh, was one of the, this is one of the main things that come from the, was creating this non, again, creating that safe environment, but an environment where the boundaries are set. So 
this was it was like a constant across the three days with that so the boundaries are your box what that you set and the boundaries cannot be crossed so you're gonna have players that happily stay within the boundaries you've obviously got those players as well that are going to try and push the boundaries a little bit so then it's dealing with what other how do you bring them back um so that might be just a conversation with them making them aware of how that's going to affect what what the detriment of them pushing the boundaries is going to have on their own learning what it's going to have on other people's learning so nipping it in the bud because as long as it doesn't affect anyone else's learning then you might leave you might have to sacrifice them you don't want to sacrifice the group yeah. it needs to be them um so yeah how we set the boundaries pretty much so how can you set the boundaries so like i said repetition of what the boundaries are not letting them slide there's no reasons why they can slide so we were speaking about players who are really struggling at home at home for example let's say there's some sort of issue um you don't change the way you coach. You don't change the way you approach the session because that could also have an effect on them. You you might notice and have maybe a conversation, but you would try and let them come to you. If they maybe don't come to you, you might not seek it because they might not want that. But you might just probe them a little bit in your own way without actually asking them. So so they might come out with it and then have a conversation with you about it. Yeah. So that was quite interesting. So that yeah, that, that was around like the so we called it SLR. No, I think it's interesting. I I think it's interesting with the older lads to a certain degree as well because obviously as you get older, particularly if you look at first team level, obviously they have like their own social thing of like there might be muckers in the change room mm. that they are trying to show off in front of or yeah, want yeah. to be the big man. They might have brands and stuff they've got to protect. Yeah. Like it sound, like it obviously sounds ridiculous, but everyone nowadays their own brands. You go on social media and they're yeah. trying to oh, yeah, sell all that, media, all that sort of stuff. So how, as a coach, do you get it where these brown boundaries yeah. everyone's going to stick in, where yeah. everyone's pulling the same direction? Yeah. And I think that is probably one of the most difficult things to sort of coach nowadays. Yeah. I don't necessarily think it's technical or tactical bits. It probably is the oh, we've got one person who wants to go and do this. These two have fallen out slightly. Managing all those dynamics that everyone still yeah. goes in the right way. I think it's making it clear they, they're they all... It's it's an, indiv- it's, almost, it's an individual challenge for all of them. They're trying to become professional footballers. They're not trying to become a great team or or lots of, or them and their mates getting... But it's their individual challenge and their battle to go and become a professional footballer so they need to make them realize that they need to apply themselves they need to realize what they need to do to achieve that to achieve those goals not let things get in the way of that so look for example social media things like that or yeah all all the things we spoke you just said about yeah relationships yeah all all that yes i mean not letting that get in the way of their progression as as a footballer and then the other hard bit i think is probably all the academies around the country struggle with this is how do you balance them off the pitch mm. and the things they do off the pitch with repercussions on, on the, the pitch. pitch? Yeah. So, example, say for example, you've got somebody who's messing around a lot of school. Yeah. Some people, and I'd probably be in this one to say, as a punishment, it's okay if mm. it's warranted to get them to miss part of their game time or to start on the bench or something like that. Mm-hmm. Other people say no; they're two separate things. Mm. They need to be kept separate, and we've got to try and address the schools. Yeah, I've had mixed things. I've had mixed sort of experiences with this because, and this again has made me reflect going on the course. They 
we, we've had it in the past where where players are misbehaving at school. We we run day release, so that is it's a treat to come out of school and they do do their learning here but they also train twice as well that day and i think that is we've had that where we have taken away that privilege to be able to come out of school to to come and play football essentially um and i've seen that work nipped it in the bud the behavior in school so that i think if it's on the i think that that did work when i looked at that i thought yeah that that worked that worked well but then after being on this course, it's again going back to the environment. There might be a reason that they're playing up at school, and they're in the school's environment. The school's boundaries need to be there. This is a conversation. I'm not just saying. I'm, I'm not saying I agree or disagree, but they the school's boundaries are there, and the school should be dealing with them and bringing them back into their box of whatever their boundaries are. So then, when we shouldn't be taking away the safe environment that is our that is our training session or whatever it's going to be our, our, the match on the saturday so that could have a real negative effect if they're having a tough time at home they're showing that in school and it, they might come, want to just go to football and get away from it it might be their get out going to football training and taking that away from them is that necessarily going to help i don't know and that did make me think about it I think, yes, it's a real interesting dynamic with that because I think you want to produce good young people more than anything else. Yeah. I'd like to think that hopefully I get a long career in coaching and can do it for many more years and that most of the people come away and go, he improved me as a person mm. and then improved me as a player. Because yeah. I think like the person bit about having manners for people, walking around the building that we're in, obviously it's quite a big one, yeah. being polite to people, shaking hands. You know, I try and take an active interest in their schooling. So when they turn up to at least one kid a session, I'll say, what have you learned at school today? Mm. Just so it's, they realise that you care about them away from school. And they yeah, might, yeah the under nines the other day told me about partitioning and was explaining to me how you do partitioning in mm. maths and stuff yeah. which is great like he now knows that I might ask him so that might make him pay 1% yeah. extra attention in no, school I agree um, and so we we obviously want that thing where they're being really good people but the crossover if they're not being good to if they're not being really good at school but mm. they're being really good here how does that look and how do we how do we nip that in the bud? I think it's I think that this is this is one of the things that, that one of the um, FA mentors said about was he was like if we if football's obviously going to be something they really enjoy they might not be enjoying what they're doing at school I don't know um, they might be but either way we wouldn't ever ring school and go they're misbehaving at football they need to miss a lesson they need to miss their favourite lesson that was the example yeah. he used which is quite an extreme example yeah. but he's saying that wouldn't happen they would say they would say well no deal with it it's your it's your that, that's they're misbehaving in your lesson yeah. so deal with it so w- we would almost be saying well the school should be dealing with that they shouldn't be reaching out they should have their own boundaries and their own repercussions of whatever they do if they cross the line in school yeah. um, it's an interesting one because I was watching a documentary the other day with uh, Stacey Dooley I think it's on W something like that mm. where she stays over people's houses for three nights mm. the most recent one that I've seen is with a MMA fighter yeah. he's 14 right 14 years old is MMA basically mental in terms of like kids that young doing a fight and I thought oh they're going to be getting concussion stuff you're not allowed to punch people or kick people ahead yeah. that's one of the rules of this thing so, so it's a lot of wrestling a lot of 
like arm lock, headlocks, a little bit of kicking and punching. Punching, yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. The kid they use, for example, had anger management and stuff at school or anger problems and whatnot at school. Yeah. And the parents made a conscious decision and said, if we show him down this route, all that's going to happen is he's going to kick off and stuff at school and he's going to end up on a street corner mm. causing chaos. Yeah. So they made a decision where they went, we're going to take him out. We're going to take him out of school. He's going to train two to three hours a day at an MMA gym because he's saying that's what he wants. Yeah. And then we'll catch up with the school then before, I think they said he has to do 10 hours a week because the MMA count. And for them, initially I was like, that's wrong. Shouldn't, shouldn't do that. Yeah. But it looked like it actually worked. Mm. And it made me think about this and go, actually, some of the kids, I fully appreciate everyone needs to get education. I'm a big advocate of it. I came to uni after yeah. I got released at 18. I think it's really good that people have that. If it is a plan B for them, that they understand um, that, you know, you've got a second option and you don't just have to do what your dad yeah your dad knows someone your uncle knows someone your mum knows someone you don't have to go down that route yeah you've got the kid who's I think for Oldham was it who scored against United the other night 16 year old yeah yeah yeah. he um, was doing his like psychology A levels the following day really um, and was doing education I'm a big advocate for that however I appreciate that's not for everyone yeah that's so are we does the educational system force everyone down the same Mm same road well the only thing with education i think is that it oh it doesn't force it it does in a way but i mean the sense that it opens up and you can choose your route and it opens up so many avenues as in education is is yeah it's going to open up jobs for careers anything and thing with sport is that the especially with football is the chances are so slim that i think you can sacrifice your education for that small percentage. I think it has to go hand in hand um, to then give them the option to whatever they're going to do. And if they, and I know obviously academies now, we do lots of education. They do their A levels and all that sort of thing, which is really important. So because the likelihood is, the harsh reality of it is, not most of them aren't going to be professional footballers. So they've got to have that that good educational backgrounds and then go and be able to do whatever whatever else leads them on to doing I think football which is good it's got better with that as well yeah definitely supporting lads who want to go and do A-level like when I, even even from when I did my 16 to 18 programme we did a uh, educational side Was it was a couple of days of college a week and we didn't get a lot out of it um from that side of things but we could because we were so focused on the on on the football but nowadays they they run they do their a levels alongside the program so a levels are obviously going to lead you into going to university and on to then yeah like i said a job starting a career yeah i think it's constant of wanting kids to have dreams and aspire to achieve those yeah dreams, yeah but also understanding that if there's a room full of 25 kids of scholars or whatever mm-hmm. not all 25 of you are going to be primarily premier footballers so don't just go ah oh, that'll be my mate he's the one who's going to get binned mm-hmm. off go actually I'm going to come up with a plan B plan C and that can be educational as you said saying there, or vocational as well I think like pretty like, I'm rubbish DIY but the ability to for someone to go actually I don't really like education but I really like woodwork, so I'm going to go and learn how to do loads of stuff with woodwork yeah. and be great with that. 
Sure. Um, I've got a friend exactly the same. He never great with school, never great in school, never got good um, good grades, anything like that. Didn't really enjoy school. He was, and he pretty much specialised. He knew what he was going to do. He knew he was going to be a carpenter. And he, I got one um, GCSE, and that was in woodwork. And he's a really successful carpenter now. And it just showed, like, he was almost specialised in that. Um, and not focused on it. And I know the chances are higher you can go on and achieve that. But he had that goal, and he set his sights on that goal, and he went and achieved it. Okay, so I've got one last question for you. Yeah. Which is this, I'm going to ask everyone that I can is applicable to, which is, of the people that you've played against yeah. or with, mm-hmm. who is the best player that you've played against or with and why? Okay. What made them stand out to you? Oh, that's a tough question. I've hmm. played against and with. I'd say there's a against guy. Against all. Yeah, against all with. I'd say there's a really... It's a tough question I, off the top of my head. That's, that's stumped me. But and on the, in all honesty, I've not played with any top, top ex-footballers or anything like that. But players I've played with as a guy... His name was um, his name's Scott Lye. He was a really good centre mid. He had a good, a, a decent batter. Played in the played in the conference um, conference South for, me, for for a few years, um, and he came to Larkle when I was there as well. That this was the year we had a really good squad, and he was a top top player. Set up set used to set me up all the time. Um, looks, yeah, really technical player as well. Um, and got on really well with him, and yeah, so he he was probably one of the best players I played with. Um, yeah. Okay. I'm just trying to think on that one. No, it's Liz, it's a good it's a good one to ask because yeah. it makes people go back. Yeah. Why Why is he? The I'd say player? I I'd say I think to him is because I'd say that, but I'd say one of the things is probably because he used to set me up all the time. Yeah. So that would be one of the big one of the biggest things. Goes why Why think back to that? Yeah. So uh, TJ, last one he used to play with Ben Davis. Okay. And Swansea. Yeah. Jake went back to two kids of um, that he used to play football with and give reasons why. Both yeah. Players. I mean, I I'm trying a... to think. Of, I'm, I'm trying to think big and think of players I played with or played against uh, who are top top players. And off off the top of my head, it's a tricky one. But like growing up, there's this guy. It's also had a tough sort of. Um, process his name's Billy Bowden he was I was with him at Swindon and he was uh he was probably one of the best in the group then um and then he he went on I think he had a stint Swindon first team he then went to Torquay and did quite well um but I think they got relegated and he got bad injury a real bad injury and he, he um I'm just yeah so after that he struggled I think a little bit with his injury he was out of football for quite a long time he struggled to get back into a club and I know Rovers put him on a Bristol Rovers put him on a um, uh, like a trial pre-season and he did well and then he was at Rovers this is a few years ago now and he was flying and doing really well for Rovers scored scoring goals one of their top players and then he went and got a move to Dar. I think it was uh, Dar- uh, not Derby um, who am I thinking of might have been Derby. Might have been Derby County. Yeah. So he's done, but he's but he had a tough sort of. Yeah, he didn't re- yeah resilience to get a real bad injury. Sort of almost fought, fell out of professional football. I'd say. I know he went on trial at a few clubs and then break back in and kick on as he did. So yeah, credit to. Him. 
Good. Right, well, it's been a pleasure, Ty. Yeah, no, I've enjoyed that. I've and enjoyed I'm sure it. we'll catch up on another one. Of these yeah, days. we will. Cheers, mate. Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.